friends. I feel like it's been a minute since I have done a podcast episode, and it has, and I just feel like life gets so busy once August starts, and then we decided to totally update and renovate an older home, and we just, it's been crazy. So, I'm super excited to be back here and just continue talking about boundaries. So, what this chapter is about is what does a boundary look like from the book Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. So, this first part, there's a little story. And this is about a mother and father and their 25-year-old son. And I know that there are probably many mothers with older children that can relate to this in one way or another. So the parents of a 25-year-old man came to see me, Henry, with a common request. They wanted me to fix their son, Joshua. When I asked where Joshua was, they answered, oh, he didn't want to come. Why? I asked. Well, he doesn't think he has a problem. They replied, maybe he's right. I said to their surprise, tell me about it. They recited a history of problems that had begun at a very young age. Joshua had never been quite up to snuff in their eyes. In recent years, he had exhibited problems with drugs and an inability to stay in school and find a career. It was apparent that they loved their son very much and were heartbroken over the way he was living. They had tried everything they knew to get him to change and live a responsible life, but all had failed. He was still using drugs, avoiding responsibility, and keeping questionable company. They told me that they had always given him everything he needed. They supported him financially at school so he wouldn't have to work and he would have plenty of time for study and social life. When he flunked out of one school or stopped going to classes, They were more than happy to do everything they could to get him into another school where it might be better for him. After they had talked for a while, I responded, I think your son is right. He doesn't have a problem. You could have mistaken their expression for a snapshot. They stared at me in disbelief for a full minute. Finally, the father said, did I hear you right? You don't think he has a problem? That's correct. I said, he doesn't have a problem you do. He can do pretty much whatever he wants. No problem. You pay, you fret, you worry, you plan, you exert energy to keep him going. He doesn't have a problem because you have taken it all from him. Those things should be his problem. But as it stands now, they are yours. Would you like for me to help you help him to have some problems? They looked at me like I was crazy, but some lights were beginning to go on in their heads. What do you mean, help him to have some problems? His mother asked. Well, I explained, I think that the solution to the problem would be to clarify some boundaries so that his actions cause him problems and not you. What do you mean boundaries? The father asked. Look at it this way. It is as if he's your neighbor who never waters his lawn. But whenever you turn on your sprinkler system, the water falls on his lawn. 
your grass is turning brown and dying. But Joshua looks down at his green grass and thinks to himself, my yard is doing fine. That is how your son's life is. He doesn't study or plan or work, yet he has a nice place to live, plenty of money, and all the rights of a family member who is doing his part. If you would define the property lines a little better, if you would fix the sprinkler system so that the water would fall on your lawn, and if he didn't water his own lawn, he would have to live in dirt. He might not like that after a while. As it stands now, he is irresponsible and happy, and you are responsible and miserable. A little boundary clarification would do the trick. You need some fences to keep his problems out of your yard and in his where they belong. Isn't that a bit cruel just to stop helping like that? The father asked. Has helping him helped? I asked. His look told me that he was beginning to understand. So now we're going to talk about like what does a boundary look like? And this first part is invisible property lines and responsibility. Before I go on, if you hear that story and it is relatable, there are supposed to be boundaries in parent-children relationships. It's so hard, and I can see this as myself with my kids. You want to give them everything. You want them to have every opportunity, but there needs to be boundaries. So, Invisible property lines and responsibility. In the physical world, boundaries are easy to see. Fences, signs, walls, moats with alligators, manicured lawns, and hedges are all physical boundaries in their different, differing appearances. They give the same message. This is where my property begins. The owner of the property is legally responsible for what happens on his or her property. Non-owners are not responsible for the property. Physical boundaries mark a visible property line that someone holds the deed to. The goal of this chapter is to help you define your intangible boundaries and to recognize them as an ever-present reality that can increase your love and save your life. In reality, these boundaries define your soul and they help you to guard it and maintain it. Before I continue, I just want to let you know that in this chapter, we do talk about abusive relationships. It may be triggering if you are in one of those, but this gives you a lot of insight on what that looks like and how you need to move forward. And I can see as I am reading this book that it will not be the first time that this touches on abuse, that meaning sexual or mentally or whatever that abuse looks like, um, it is talked about. So I just wanted to let you know that before we continue that this can be triggering for some people. The next part is me and not me. Boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. 
A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership. Knowing that I am to take, take, sorry, knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. If I know where my yard begins and ends, I am free to do with it what I like. Taking responsibility for my life opens up many different options. However, if I do not own my life, my choices and options become very limited. Think how confusing it would be if someone told you to guard this property diligently because I will hold you responsibility, responsible for what happens here and then did not tell you the boundaries of the property or they did not give you the means with which to protect the property. This would be only confusing but also potentially dangerous. Boundaries help us to define what is not on our property and what we are not responsible for. We are not, for example, responsible for other people. I love that because it's so true, yet we struggle with this. So the next part says two and four. We are responsible to others and for ourselves. Everyone has responsibilities that only he or she can carry. These things are our own particular load, and we need to take daily responsibility for and work out. No one can do certain things for us. We have to take ownership of certain aspects of life that are our own load. The Greek words for burden and load give us insight into the meaning of these texts. The Greek word for burden means excess burdens or burdens that are so heavy that they weigh us down. These burdens are like boulders. They can crush us. We shouldn't be expected to carry a boulder by ourselves. It would break our backs. We need help with the, bird, the boulders, those times of crisis and tragedy in our lives. In contrast, the Greek word for load means cargo or the burden of daily toil. This word describes the everyday things we all need to do. These loads are like knapsacks. Knapsacks are possible to carry. We are expected to carry our own. We are expected to deal with our own feelings, attitudes, and behaviors. Problems arise when people act as if their boulders are daily loads and refuse help, or as if their daily loads are boulders they shouldn't have to carry. The results of these two instances are either perpetual pain or irresponsibility. Lest we stay in pain or become irresponsible, it is very important to determine what me is, where my boundary of responsibility is, and where someone else's begins. This next part is good in, bad out. Boundaries help us to distinguish our property so that we can take care of it. We need to keep things that will nurture us inside our fences and keep things that will harm us outside. 
In short, boundaries help us keep the good in and the bad out. Sometimes we have bad on the inside and good on the outside. In these instances, we need to be able to open up our boundaries to let them let the good in and the bad out. In other words, our fences need gates in them. When the good is on the outside, we need to open our gates and let it in. Often, we will close our boundaries to good things from others, staying in a state of deprivation. In short, boundaries are not walls. We are to be in community with them. But in every community, all members have their own space and property. The important thing is that property lines be permeable enough to allow passing and strong enough to keep out danger. Often, when people are abused while growing up, they reverse the function of boundaries and keep the bad in and the good out. If this sounds like you, you will need to reverse the way your boundaries are worked. You'll need fences that are strong enough to keep the bad out and gates on those fences to let out the bad that is already in your soul and let in the good that you desperately need. This next part will be examples of boundaries. Boundaries are anything that helps to differentiate you from someone else or shows where you begin and end. So the first part is skin. The most basic boundary that defines you is your physical skin. People often use this boundary as a metaphor for saying that their personal boundaries have been violated. Like, he really gets under my skin. Your physical self is the first way that you learn that you are separate from others. As an infant, you slowly learn that you are different from the mother or father who cuddles you. The skin boundary keeps the good in and the bad out. It protects your blood and bones, holding them on the inside and all together. It also keeps germs outside, protecting you from infection. At the same time, skin has openings that let the good like food in and the bad like waste products out. Victims of physical and sexual abuse often have a poor sense of boundaries. Early in life, they were taught that their property did not really begin at their skin. Others could invade their property and do whatever they wanted. As a result, they have difficulty establishing boundaries later in life. This next part is words. The most basic boundary setting word is no. It lets others know that you exist apart from them and that you are in control of you. People with poor boundaries struggle with saying no to the control, pressure, demands, and sometimes the real needs of others. They feel that if they say no to someone, they will endanger their relationship with that person. So they passively complied, but inwardly resent. Sometimes a person is pressuring you to do something. Other times the pressure comes from your own sense of what you should do. If you cannot say no to this external or internal pressure, you have lost control of your property and are not enjoying the fruit of self-control. Now, I can relate to this in the sense of passively complying and then inwardly resenting. There's times where 
even, you know, mostly it comes with, with family and the sense of needing to say yes or damaging that relationship. But then I just resent that person and it, and, and they just drive me insane whenever they ask for something. And sometimes it can be because maybe they've done something for me and they expect like, well, I did this for you, so you need to do this for me now. I absolutely do not like that. It is probably one of my biggest pet peeves. If you're family, you should be doing favors because you love that person and you want to. And if you don't want to, then say no. This goes for everyone. Say no. (laughs) And then guess what? There's not those resentful feelings that build up, build up, build up, build up, build up. Now this can be your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, your in-laws, and so on and so forth. This is a big issue for people I know as I've talked to other people with their boundaries and stuff. And it can be so hard, especially when it's someone that you love and care about. But building up those resentful feelings is blocking you from having a good, close, and pure relationship with that person. And I'm saying this because I need to work on this myself. And if you're listening to this, you also need to work on it. But you also need to know that if someone tells you no, to accept that and to not go into this whirlwind of the woe is me and I did this for you and you never do things for me that's not okay because that is toxic and that is abusive behavior okay (laughs) so moving on your words also define your property for others as you communicate your feelings intentions or dislikes It is difficult for people to know where you stand when you do not use words to define your property. Excuse me, sorry. Sometimes I get like a really dry throat. So I need to take some drink breaks. Okay. So you need to define your property. I like this and I hate that. Or I will do this and I will not do that. Your words let people know where you stand and thus give them a sense of the edges that help identify you. I don't like it when you yell at me. Gives people a clear message about how you conduct your relationship and lets them know the rules of your yard. This next part is geographical distance. Sometimes physically removing yourself from a situation will help maintain boundaries. You can do this to replenish yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Removing yourself from the situation will also cause the one who is left behind to experience a loss of fellowship that may lead to change behavior. I'm going to read that again. Removing yourself from the situation will also cause the one who is left behind to experience a loss of fellowship that may lead to changed behavior. This is very important to remember. 
When a relationship is abusive, many times the only way to finally show the other person that your boundaries are real is to create space until they are ready to deal with the problem. We need to be backing up our boundaries with consequences. This does not, this is not in the book, I'm saying this as me, this does not mean that you are this bad, awful, uncaring monster. No. Boundaries are necessary to live a happy life, to feel free, and to be able to be completely yourself with your relationships. And so when you back up those boundaries with the consequences, okay? So when it was saying, I'm removing myself from this situation and you're going to feel unattached from me. And hopefully because of that and those consequences, you're going to change your behavior. So then you can come back into my life and be a part of me, my family, my kids, all of that. But until that happens, um, sorry, you're cut off. And sometimes that can give people a, they don't respond well to that basically, (laughs) but that's their own problem to deal with. You need to keep your boundaries. Not easy to do, right? Okay, back to reading. Taking time off from a person or a project can be a way of regaining ownership over some out-of-control aspect of your life where boundaries need to be set. Emotional distance is a temporary boundary to give your heart the space it needs to be safe. It is never a permanent way of living. People who have been in abusive relationships need to find a safe place to begin to thaw out emotionally. Sometimes in abusive marriages, the abused spouse needs to keep emotional distance until the abusive partner begins to face his or her problems and become trustworthy. You should not continue to set yourself up for hurt and disappointment. If you have been in an abusive relationship, you should wait until it is safe and until real patterns of change have been demonstrated before you go back. To continue to open yourself up emotionally to an abusive or addicted person without seeing true change is foolish. Forgive but guard your heart until you see sustained change. So, I want to just take a little sidetrack here. And I know for some people who are not in abusive relationships just think it's so crazy that someone would stay, right? This is me too until I've read so much about it. But it's so hard to understand unless you are a part of that, unless you're in that abusive relationship. So it's hard because I've seen that throughout family, throughout friendships. Or maybe it's from a friend through a friend, hearing their story and all of that. It's hard to understand because for me, that was something I had decided a long time ago that I would not accept. And I'm very blessed with my relationship and marriage to my husband. 
But for those of you who are in this abusive situation, I just want you to know that you are seen and that you truly need to keep that emotional distance. Because I understand in the sense of how words make you feel or those flowers that you get, the gifts that you get. I mean, my personality and the way that I love to receive love is through the gifts and when my husband cleans or something like that or just to be recognized and have those words being said to me. But like this book has said that it's foolish until that person has truly showed change not just with them saying that they're going to change with them saying that it's going to be different now and I love you and I promise I'm going to change well until you see the complete actions not just this isn't going to happen in a day it needs to be who knows weeks months whatever it takes until you see that true change before you decide to go back in that relationship and if you feel like that's never going to happen, then to turn to support of others to get you out and to get you through it. So important. Now back to the book, it says you need to depend on others to help you set and keep boundaries. People subject to another person's addictions, control, or abuse are finding that after years and years of loving too much, they can find the ability to create boundaries only through a support group. Their support system is giving them the strength to say no to the abuse and control for the first time in their lives. There are two reasons why you need others to help with boundaries. The first is that your most basic need in life is for a relationship. People suffer much to have relationships and many put up with abuse because they fear their partner will leave them and they will be alone if they stand up to them. Fear of being alone keeps many in hurtful patterns for years. They are afraid that if they set boundaries, they will not have any love in their lives. When they open themselves up to support from others, however, they find that the abusive person's are not the only source of love in the world and that they can find the strength through their support systems to set the limits they need to set. They are no longer alone. The other reason we need others is because we need new input and teaching. Many people have been taught by their church or their family that boundaries are unbiblical, mean, or selfish. These people need good biblical support systems to help them stand against guilt that comes from the old tapes inside that tell them lies to keep them in bondage. They need supportive others to stand against the old messages and the guilt involved in change. Boundaries are not built in a vacuum. Creating boundaries always involves a support network. Trespassing on others' property carries consequences. No trespassing signs usually carry a threat of prosecution if someone steps over the boundaries. We need to back up our boundaries with consequences. How many marriages could have been saved if one spouse had followed through with 
the threat of if you don't stop drinking or coming home at midnight or hitting me or yelling at the kids, I will leave until you get some treatment. Or how many young adults' lives would have been turned around if their parents had followed through with their threat of no more money if you quit another job without having further employment. Consequences give some good barbs to fences. They let people know the seriousness of the trespass and the seriousness of the respect for ourselves. This teaches them that our commitment to living according to helpful values is something we hold dear and will not fight to protect and guard. So this next part is what's within my boundaries. The story of the Good Samaritan is a model of correct behavior in many dimensions. It is a good illustration of boundaries when they should be both observed and violated. Imagine for a moment how the story might read if the Samaritan was a boundaryless person. Okay, you know the story. A man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho was mugged. The robbers stripped him and beat him, leaving him half dead. A priest and a Levite passed by on the other side of the road, ignoring the hurt man. But a Samaritan took pity on him, bandaged his wounds, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, the Samaritan gave the innkeeper some money and said, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, let's depart from this familiar story. Suppose the inquired man wakes up at this point in the story and says, What? You're leaving me? Yes, I am. I have some business in Jericho I have to attend to, the Samaritan replies. Don't you think you're being selfish? I'm in a pretty bad shape here. I'm going to need someone to talk to. How is Jesus going to use you as an example. You're not even acting like a Christian, abandoning me like this in the time of need. Whatever happened to deny yourself? Why, I guess you're right, the Samaritan says. That would be uncaring of me to leave you here alone. I should do more. I will postpone my trip for a few days. So he stays with the man for three days, talking to him and making sure that he is happy and content. On the afternoon of the third day, there's a knock at the door, and a messenger comes in. He hands the Samaritan a message from his business contacts in Jericho. The message read, Waited as long as we could. Have decided to sell camels to another party. Our next herd will be here in six months' time. How could you do this to me? The Samaritan screams at the recovering man, waving the message in the air. Look at what you've done now. You caused me to lose those camels that I needed for my business. Now I can't deliver my goods. This may put me out of business. How could you do this to me? At some level, this story may be familiar to all of us. We may be moved with compassion to give to someone in need, but then this person manipulates us into giving more than we want to give. We end up resentful and angry, having missed something we needed in our own life. Or we may want more from someone else, and we pressure them until they give in. They give 
not out of their heart and free will, but out of compliance, and they resent us for what they give. Neither one of us comes out ahead. To avoid these scenarios, we need to look at what falls within our boundaries, what we are responsible for. So this next part says feelings. Feelings have gotten a bad rap in the Christian world. They have been called everything from unimportant, unimportant to fleshly. At, some, at the same time, example after example shows how our feelings play an enormous role in our motivation and behavior. How many times have you seen people do ungodly things to one another because of hurt feelings? Or how many times has someone had to be hospitalized for depression after years and years of trying to ignore the, the way they felt until they became suicidal? Feelings should neither be ignored nor placed in charge. Feelings come from your heart and they tell you the state of your relationships. They can tell you if things are going well or if there is a problem, if you feel close and loving, things are probably going well. If you feel angry, you have a problem that needs to be addressed. But the point is your feelings are responsibility and you must own them and see them as your problem. So you can begin to find an answer to whatever issue they are pointing to. This next part is attitudes and beliefs. Attitudes have to do with your orientation towards something, the stance you take toward others, God, life, work, and relationships. Beliefs are anything that you accept as true. Often we do not see an attitude or belief as a source of discomfort in our lives. We blame other people. We need to own our attitudes and convictions because they fall within our property line. We are the ones who feel their effect and the only ones who can change them. The tough thing about attitudes is that we learn from a very early we learn them from very early in life. They play a big part in the map of who we are and how we operate. People with boundary problems usually have distorted attitudes about responsibilities. They feel that to hold people responsible for their feeling choices and behaviors is mean. However, setting limits and accepting responsibility will save lives. This next part is behaviors. Have you heard the saying, you reap what you sow? If we go to work, we will get a paycheck. If we exercise, we will be in better health. If we act lovingly towards others, we will have closer relationships. On the negative side, if we sow idleness, irresponsible, irresponsibility, or out-of-control behavior, we can expect to reap poverty, failure, and the effects of loose living. These are natural consequences of our behavior. The problem comes when people, when someone interrupts the law of sowing and reaping in another's life. A person's drinking or abuse should have consequences for the drinker or the abuser. To rescue from the natural consequences of their behavior is to render them powerless. This happens a lot with parents and children. 
Parents often yell and nag instead of allowing their children to reap the natural consequences of their behavior. Parenting with love and limits, with warmth and consequences, produces confident children who have a sense of control over their lives. I know that that can be super relatable for any parent listening. It's usually can be yelling and nagging instead of, you know, letting it be and letting them learn from those consequences. And it can be hard, especially they they start learning when they're younger and it's hard to let them learn at that age because you just want to at least for me personally I just want to do it all for them I don't like I don't want to wait around for them to or fight with me about doing something like whatever it is this next part is choices we need to take responsibility for our choices this leads to self control a common boundary problem is disowning our choices and trying to lay the responsibility for them on someone else. Think for a moment of how often we use the phrases, I had to, or she made me, or he made me, when explaining why we did or did not do something. These phrases betray our basic illusion that we are not active agents in many of our dealings. We think someone else is in control, thus relieving us of our basic responsibility. We need to realize that we are in control of our choices no matter how we feel. Doing so keeps us from making choices to give reluctantly or under compulsion. Setting boundaries inevitably involves taking responsibility for your choices. You are the one who makes them. You are the one who must live with their consequences and you are the one who may be keeping yourself from making the choices you could be happy with. This next part is limits. Two aspects of limits stand out when it comes to creating better boundaries. The first is setting limits on others. This is the component that we most often hear about when we talk about boundaries. In reality, setting limits on others is wrong. We can't do that. What we can do is set limits on our own exposure to people who are behaving poorly. We can't change them or make them behave right. The other aspect of limits that is helpful when talking about boundaries is setting our own internal limits. We need to have spaces inside ourselves where we can have feeling and impulse or desire without acting it out. We need self-control without repression. We need to be able to say no to ourselves. This includes both our destructive desires and some good ones that are not wise to pursue at a given time. Internal structure is a very important component of boundaries and identity, as well as ownership, responsibility, and self-control. We must own our own thoughts. Many people have not taken ownership of their own thinking process. They are mechanically thinking the thoughts of others without ever examining them. They swallow others' opinions and reasonings. They never, never questioning and thinking about their thinking. Certainly, we should listen to the thoughts of others and weigh them, but we should never give our minds over to anyone. We are to weigh things for ourselves in the context of relationship 
sharpening each other as iron, but remaining separate thinkers. We must clarify distorted thinking. We all have a tendency not to see things clearly, to think and perceive in distorted ways. Probably the easiest distortions to notice are in personal relationships. We rarely see people as they really are. Our perceptions are distorted by past relationships and our own perceptions of who we think they are, even the people we know best. Taking ownership of our thinking and relationships requires being active and checking out where we may be wrong. As we assimilate new information, our thinking adapts and grows closer to reality. Also, we need to make sure that we are communicating our thoughts to others. Many people think that others should be able to read their minds and know what they want. This leads to frustration. I think uh, most relationships would understand this. (laughs) There are many, many times I just expect my husband to know what I'm saying without saying it, so... That's probably one of the number one reasons why husbands, you know, get sent to the doghouse, I guess you could say. Uh, Back to reading, it says, we have our own thoughts, and if we want others to know them, we must tell them. The next part says, desires. Our desires lie within our boundaries. Each of us has different desires and wants. Dreams and wishes, goals and plans, hungers and thirsts. We all want to satisfy the me. But why are there so few satisfied me's around? Part of the problem lies in the lack of structural boundaries within our personality. We can't define who the real me is and what we truly desire. Many desires masquerade as the real thing. They are lusts that come out of not knowing our real desires. To play an active role in seeking our desires, we need to own our desires and pursue them to find fulfillment in life. The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is sure a lot of work. This next part is love. Our ability to give and respond to love is our greatest gift. Its abilities to open up to love and to allow love to flow outward are crucial to life. Many people have difficulty giving and receiving love because of hurt and fear. Having closed their hearts to others, they feel empty and meaningless. Our loving heart, like our physical one, needs an inflow as well as an outflow of lifeblood. And like its physical counterpart, our heart is a muscle, a trust muscle. This trust muscle needs to be used and exercised. If it is injured, it will slow down or weaken. We need to take responsibility for this loving function of ourselves and use it. We both love concealed and love rejected can kill us. Many people do not take ownership for how they resist love. They have a lot of love around them, but do not realize that their loneliness is a result of their own lack of responsiveness. Often they will say others' love cannot get in. This statement negates their responsibility to respond. We maneuver subtly to avoid responsibility 
and love. We need to claim our heart as our property and work on our weaknesses in that area. It will open up life to us. We need to take responsibility for all of the above areas of our souls. These lie within our boundaries, but take care of what lies within our boundaries isn't easy. Neither is allowing other people to take care of what lies within their boundaries. Setting boundaries and maintaining them is hard work. So this is the chapter about what are boundaries. Got that one finished. The uh, next one that I will be talking about the next chapter, let's see. It is boundary problems is what the chapter is called. So that's going to be another really good one. And again, I'm just so grateful and happy to those of you who are listening to this and learning about boundaries because it is hard to do and it can be difficult to put those boundaries in place and stick with them. And I'm still learning too. I'm new at this. I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but I love to share with you what I'm reading in this book, what I'm learning, and we can all learn together and be better with boundaries. So again, thank you for being here and you know, I will see you next time, friend. Bye.